0: Hello and welcome to the Lavender Menace podcast. My name is Sunny. I am one of your co-hosts and I am a Cancer Sun, Capricorn Moon, Gemini Rising (laughs) lesbian. And I use they them pronouns, but she her is reserved for like the besties and the bays. You know what I mean? And. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Renaissance, introduce yourself. (laughs) Hi, my name is Renaissance. I'm Hold on, I think there's a dog barking. When uh okay. Angela Davis said freedom is a constant struggle, she didn't consider that <laughs> making a podcast is a constant struggle. <laughs> like... No, for real. Anyway. Okay.
1: Hello, my name is Renaissance. I am the other co-host of The Lavender Menace. I also use they them pronouns. Uh she/her for when I'm a bitch. <laughs> and I'm an Aries Sun, Gemini
0: Moon, Virgo Rising. Yeah, I think astrological I compatibility is something. Okay, I was talking about it last night with my friends, and I think that, I think that something that's really interesting is that our astrological compatibility via like co-star or whatever is like not mm-hmm. good, but so is all of my fr- most of my <laughs> friends like partners. That's true for them as well, and I think it just goes mm-hmm. to show that like at the end of the day like the amount of work that you have to put in for a relationship and for any dynamic is what informs how that how that relationship is going to work as opposed to the natural reality of it you know what I mean yeah because even my yeah. sister sign like Capricorns right and I a Capricorn man uh, Capricorns I feel like I can never have like a deep connection to for some reason like I feel like I've never had a Capricorn who is like a long-term person in my life I mean besides my dad but even mm-hmm. he's you know he's walking a thin line you know what I mean like yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway wait, what's Aries sister yeah. sign again Libra and I, right, I feel right, right.
1: pretty some I feel like I just haven't come across that many Libras like until the past like six months I've come across mm. the most Libras that I ever have in my life <laughs> True, but true. I usually get along pretty well and have a lot of Geminis in my life and that's another yeah. air sign so they're not my sister sign but they're my moon sign and an air
0: so mm-hmm. yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. they kind of play it that role sense. yeah no I Most of my friends are like water signs with a lot of heavy air placements. And I think because you're a Pisces Mercury and a Gemini moon, and Virgo rising. So many of my friends are earth rising signs. I think yeah. it has to do with the fact that because I'm so insane, I have to be around people <laughs> who are like less insane up front. Mm-hmm. So it like, it's like a balancing act. Okay, anyway, 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 let's get into, you know, today's episode where we do mm-hmm. our hot take, a piece of media discussion, and recommendations. So we have a hot take from God. Aiden today. And Aiden says... Hi, Sunny and Renaissance. As a commie, fellow Capricorn moon, uh, yeah, we're struggling. And recent <laughs> gayler convert, specifically because of this podcast. Okay, the amount of people that we've converted to gaylerism because of this no. podcast, like our power. Okay, anyway.
1: Truly.
0: Um, we need royalties from Taylor. <laughs> from ta- no, she, she, she's going to fine us, actually. Um, <laughs> we're going to get a th- cease and desist letter okay. tr- from Tree Pain. <laughs> Uh, I'm a huge fan of y'all's podcast and very appreciative of y'all's takes because they're literally always correct I was re-listening to Folklore and Evermore recently as gay people do and while listening to Right Where You Left Me I just couldn't wrap my head around how people don't see how gay it is like even Mm -hmm. if it's not about a romantic relationship which I actually think it might not be because I think there's a very real possibility Carly and Taylor didn't (gasps) date each other which is probably a hotter take than what I was originally talking about but maybe I'll get into that (laughs) another time the song is still incredibly queer like I'm willing to argue that feeling so hung up over the ending of an intense friendship that you write two of your saddest albums about it comparing it to a literal divorce with the lyrics if I'm on fire you'll be made of ashes too is gayer than two women having sex (laughs) (laughs) plus this being about the same friend you lovingly caress and kiss on the cheek and neck while drunk at the 1975 concert Ma'am, you are gay.
1: Wait, hold on. Question for Aiden. How are you saying that you don't think Taylor and Carly actually didn't date each other, but then went, okay, whatever. They
0: probably, well, okay, I think what she's saying is that even if they didn't date, it was like a gay relationship. You know what I mean? Like, you know when, it's like what we were talking about, where you have those intimate female friendships where it's like you don't ever like officially date, but it's like, anyway, okay, so.
1: I get, yeah, I get it, I get it.
0: Y'all made an episode on the intimacy of female friendship, so I'm assuming y'all are picking up what I'm putting down. My point is, being with all of this, is that I think the gayest thing about Taylor Swift isn't even her suspected relationships with women. I mean, I'm sure she's gotten plenty of bitches and (laughs) models, but that's besides the (laughs) point. But just how she acts, like her happening to write straight songs that magically align with queer experiences all the time, her only speaking on issues she understands slash has experience with, and then proceeding to have a whole era of hers be (laughs) centered on gay pride, looking at you by sexual bracelet, (laughs) all her gay ass friends. Like her queerness is so obvious even if she wasn't screaming about it in her lyrics, which kind of brings me to my take on gaydar. I recently saw a TikTok about gaydar where it said that what we see as signs of someone being gay is usually centered on white Eurocentric queer terms. Like for example, if a girl listens to girl in red, drinks iced coffee, has a buzz cut or mullet or whatever, it's usually safe to assume they're queer. But if they saw a black femme with a dress on, her lashes done, who listens to Kehlani 24-7, a lot of people, majority white, wouldn't clock her as queer even if she openly were. And I fully agree with this because as a black woman who is queer myself, I've realized how little white people will clock me versus black people clocking me as queer. Then Mm -hmm. this made me think, is there something innate about queerness that will change our dynamics with other people, our socialization that is quote unquote clockable, or are all of us just repositioning gay stereotypes on ourselves so that only those in our specific queer communities will recognize us? Meaning only white queer people can clock other white queer people and black queer people can only clock black queer people because they they engage in white queerness as well. Because while it's to me obvious that Taylor Swift is queer, is that because living in a predominantly white area has made me understand how whiteness how white queerness operates, and would I be able to clock her if I didn't understand that, even if I was still queer myself? Is queerness outside of literal attraction just a performance for others to acknowledge? Anyways, this email is getting very long, but I would love to hear y'all's opinion on this. And thank you all for making such a slay podcast. Thank you so much, Aiden. Play Aiden. I think like the thing about you know being especially for us since we're like femme lesbians like the Mm -hmm. way that people will quote unquote like clock you versus I mean I think like it does have to do fundamentally with like the spaces that you're in and and how you like occupy that space because when I'm in I've always been in environments and friend groups that are primarily queer like everyone except one person is LGBT. (laughs) you know what I mean like that's always been my since I was like 12 or 13 and people who are out right like people who transition people who are out as gay or whatever like that's always been the people that I've hung out with and because that's always been the people that I've hung out with it's it's pretty obvious I think to the social settings I've been in okay those are gay people so i feel like it has to do with yes like how you interact with other people but the sort of these things like what music you listen to or like drinking iced coffee or your haircut or whatever these mm-hmm. things because they are aesthetic things you know they're things that you can sort of observe based off of how you look or you know just like asking someone what music they listen to like that is going to inherently be a much, like, a a much more shallow indicator of, like, who you are than, like, how you behave, like, in general, not just what you look like and what music you listen to and, like, your coffee habits. Like, it's more of, like, how do you, who do you talk with? Who do you hang out with a lot? How do the people in your social group and in your life and the people that you happen to be around, like, view you? Um, Because it's, like, anything that, I think like anything that a queer person does can be like queer. And like, it's only when people sort of recognize, okay, well a bunch of people who do this particular thing are queer, so it's a queer thing. Kind of like like yeah. drag, you know what I mean? Like drag is something that like, if, if you're doing it, people are probably just gonna presume that you're queer in some way. And is that because everyone who does drag is usually queer or because drag itself is, like, a queer thing? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is the behavior and the practice of doing something what what makes it gay? Or is it gay because gay people do the thing, you know? I, I mean,
1: I think in terms of drag, both. Because it, like, mm-hmm. comes from the gay scene. But, like, in the past season of Drag Race, there was, like, the first ever cis straight queen to mm-hmm. be on the show, Metamorphosis. And she actually wasn't like terrible in terms of her take. she's like, I am not here so that more straight people start doing drag. Like <laughs> no. Right. Like I'm on the nice as it is. like not because she did anything bad, but because like she recognizes that. Like, it's not, not her, her community.
0: Yeah. Exactly.
1: It's like when it comes to drag, but I think for Taylor to me, Taylor is just as clockable as Shawn Mendes, and if you listen <laughs> to our episode about Shawn Mendes, you'll know exactly how yeah. clockable. Yeah, because like, we talk about
0: clockability there, and yeah. sort of the like men versus like women in society, basically. Exactly, and so, and both of them are
1: white. So, like the way that their queerness operates is in a very white way. But of course, Shawn Mendes, as as we know currently, is a man, right. and <laughs> Taylor is not. Uh-huh. Um, she's the man but
0: she's, not a man. <laughs> she's a he they lesbian like you exactly. wouldn't
1: get it no? <laughs> she's the king so right exactly i think like that is what inhibits people from seeing taylor in a queer way and i think like aiden says about her quote-unquote like straight songs magically relating to queerness but on the surface level they are queer so all of these straight girls all these straight white girls who grew up listening to taylor swift relating to the more, like, fantastical elements of her writing then project their own perceptions of their sexuality onto Taylor, which then Uh stops a lot of people from being able to recognize her queerness. Whereas I think if, like, Taylor came out on the scene, like, right now, even, like, with her music, she would be more inherently seen as queer versus, like, the way that just, like, our age group, generation, whatever has Mm -hmm. grown up perceiving her music to be, Mm -hmm. if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. But also as like a black queer person, just about being able to clock people. I definitely think that other black people clock me as queer or different (laughs) in a way Mm -hmm. that white people do not. Mm -hmm. But also because I'm like, I didn't grow up with black parents or and like very suburban at majority Mm -hmm. white schools sometimes Mm -hmm. I feel like they can't tell if they think I'm different because of the environment that I grew up in or because Mm -hmm. it's a queerness to Mm -hmm. it but there's something definitely whenever I have met and interact with like heterosexual black people there's definitely a difference or like Mm -hmm. that we are not the same black people because there's like very gay black people Mm -hmm. but and like in terms of drag still like Mm -hmm. very gay black men who do drag but that's Mm -hmm. always going to be different than the default of what people think a black man is going to be like Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. and
1: that's how I feel where I'm like a very black queer person but then in relation to straight black people our blackness is externalized or like just like the way we relate to it is different but in the way that I operate in the world and the way that I position my politics, I'm always black first because that is the thing that like actually most heavily impacts the way that I move about the world and the way that people, yeah, Yeah. and the way that people see me. And
0: also Especially as a femme, like
1: that is very, very Uh much also because I'm not like immediately seen as gender non-conforming. That is something that more develops as someone gets to know me it's mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. easy but like yeah yeah when i do go to order my iced coffee people usually just see a black girl ordering an iced coffee so
0: yeah yeah no i i feel similarly because i think like i think that obviously because we live under like racial capitalism and mm-hmm. like un- in like a white supremacist world and state like there's just no way for for race to not be so primary but it's like ultimately how you relate to race is deeply influenced by your gender and sexuality because of the way that both people how people like perceive your gender and sexuality outside of your community and within your community itself right like because I mean I grew up in like basically entirely Chinese spaces i'm chinese guys um i I basically (laughs) case anyone didn't and people didn't know if you didn't know Mm -hmm. yeah so i grew up in almost entirely chinese american spaces and in i went to chinese school every day or every weekend depending on what age i was i've always been to chinese churches i would like but the thing is is that the way that like i interacted with the other kids who are in my church and in my and in my classes and stuff I don't know how much of the way that I related to them and the way that we related to each other and it being kind of weird or toxic at points was due to the fact that like how girls act, you know what I mean? Like gender dynamics or if it had to do with the fact that I was very clearly different in that I was definitely like neurodivergent in a really particular way like and I was definitely like very yeah. strange in a really really integral like way. there's a lot of
1: factors that are involved exactly. in how we relate to other people and how they exactly perceive us. like from childhood and the reason why I'm I'm not able to answer this completely myself is because a lot of the friends that I had as a kid who are also black grew up to also be queer <laughs> so yeah. like I don't I I like The substantial amount of time that I have spent with other black people in my community and throughout my childhood have then turned out to be queer as well. All of the straight people in my life have always known that I'm gay and they're also not black. And all the black people that I've had for any significant amount in in my life have also been queer or enjoy queer things like the media and the music Mm -hmm. and the stuff that is usually associated with Engage in that culture. Exactly. So I don't, I've never had to operate in a place
0: where it's just my race. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm I feel similarly. I feel similarly because mm-hmm. most of my friends growing up, I mean I think I also grew up in a predominantly just like or I most of my friends and stuff were just like Asian like a lot of my friends are South south asian to this day a lot of my friends were still also, South Asian. they're they still didn't. south asian they still are it's true <laughs> mm-hmm. or like immigrants you know what i mean like children yeah. of immigrants like eastern european because i'm from st louis and i grew up m- m- the majority really? of my life in st louis yes i i do love no Saint one louis. Knew. um no one knew that but yeah so in st louis there's a big jewish community and there's pretty significant like asian american communities as well there's like really there's a really active like Korean American church, Chinese American church, and, uh, like temples, like Hindu temples that every And then there's also like, um, like traditional Indian dance. Like all of my friends growing up went to the one studio that did traditional Indian dance and it was run by my friend's parents. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it, so it was always like in those environments, I always felt like I was, the, so it was sort of inverse to your experiences in around the other Asian American kids. I was definitely like the gay one, but with my white friends <laughs> and then like my friends who like were not Asian, uh, they were all gay. They were all LGBT. Yeah. So in my LGBT friend groups that were more, that were more predominantly white versus in my friend groups and interactions with kids who are like Asian American, we sort of came to terms with our sexuality at, I feel like at a later point in our lives than than I think a lot of like my white friends who grew up, who who kind of came to terms with their sexuality and gender at like an earlier age. Probably because when you grow up white, even if you are like an immigrant or a child of immigrants, you're probably going to have to contend with gender and sexuality first when you're trying to think about your identity as a kid growing up. Whereas for us, like we have to contend with our identity as like, as like racial minorities kind of yeah. primarily first and try to understand our positioning racially before we ever thought about of uh, like other things. I mean, I, even growing up, I always thought about gender. I was always thinking about the ways that I was, that I was interacting with people and kids and, and, and family members and community members because I was, I was like a girl, whereas, and, and that, w- but that was because I was basically only around other Asian people for a lot of my life. So that was going to like be at the front of my mind. Well, I also was really thinking about our communities and the ways that we interacted with race and within the larger like racial like scheme and atmosphere. So I was always thinking about those things. And I think like I thought that I was kind of I, I thought that I was like special, um, because I wa- like I was like I was different. You know what I mean? Like I mm-hmm. like there was something not right. Like there's so- mm-hmm. and everyone could tell. Everyone could tell there was something not right about this girl. And so <laughs> and so like it was always like, oh, do I feel isolated because I'm hashtag not like the other girls or hashtag not like the other Asian kids or you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or not that I didn't have any friends who were girls or friends who were Asian because obviously I did. But I was always like. Hmm, Am I different because of that? Or is it because I'm like, or is it because I'm like, you know, at that, I didn't know, but like neurodivergent and like really, you know, had struggling with a lot of like mental issues, you know, and like like psychological things. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I think like having to, and I mean, I think there's a really, just for all queer people in general, there's a really significant overlap between being neurodivergent and being like queer, like LGBT. That's also something that people have talked about a lot where it's like, why are so many trans people autistic? Or, like, why are so many autistic people trans? Or why, you know what I mean? Like, that's sort of a question that is brought up a lot. And it's, like, if you already don't engage with the world in a quote-unquote normal way, in, like, a normative manner, whether that means you diverge on a gendered or racial, et cetera, sort of way, you're probably going to have to think about these things, or, like, you know, in terms of how, like, disability or, like, your capabilities and in, in your socialization it's going to influence the way that you think about the world whereas like my friends who cishet like white people um when i was like younger because as i got older people most of my like that wasn't really as much of a thing like i didn't really have <laughs> as many cishet white people in my life like mm-hmm. or even cishet asian people because a lot of us like came out later in life you know like for so true. for a lot of us I, I could, al- and also in my observations of cishet white people in my schools and stuff, I was always kind of like, I was always, first of all, I was always jealous of like the really smart and really conforming like Asian kids primarily asian boys who like did really well and were really lauded in my community as like oh these people are like really really good and smart and can achieve really good things so i would i was always like jealous and bitter with those people and how they seem to and also the girls who like really seem to that seem to like fit in and like act normally and i was always like why can't i just act normally whereas like i would also see the the like white girls who were like really good at sports and everyone really liked and seen and like dressed in a really similar way and always be like, I can never be like them because I'm not white and I'm not I'm not into the things that they're into. You know? Like mm-hmm. I I always knew that there was a degree of separation there that was just never going to be. And that and that was just like, okay, so we're different because racially we're different. And also the way that we behave is differently, is different. But the way that we behave is what queerness is. You know what I mean? Like that's what, but also it's what like being, neurodivergent or disabled is, right? Like the way that you yeah. live and the way that you act and how you like embody yourself. And and race is so much more about just like right off the bat perception um, yeah. because of the world that we live in, you know? And all these things would be different if we lived in a different sort of world and if different power structures sort of informed how the world works. But like, this is just the world that we lived in and what we grew up in, you know? But like, anyway. Do you have any other thoughts about the sort of being perceived as queer versus the sort of relationship that one has to like race? Well, actually, hold on. Before before I you I make you answer that question, I was mm-hmm. thinking about our TikTok mutual, who's like a gayler. Um, <laughs> she's white. She made a TikTok. Her username is at Silly goofy girl, I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, I was gonna ask. I was like, we have a lot of white gay. Women. Yeah, we do have a white, a <laughs> lot of white. And that's the thing. I think a lot of. So I did an interview with. Oh my gosh, I'm, I think her name is Sarah at who's doing a. you, you come about, like, across so many Sarahs in your life. It's honestly bad. Like, it's like, like not, when you
1: have you forget like a president's first name and say so just go with John. Just as a safe yeah. bet, like mm-hmm. Sarah is that name for you. If you forget someone's it's name, it's so true. You can guess Sarah and probably <laughs> one every three times you're correct.
0: Yeah, no, it's because it's simultaneously such like a Jewish name, but such like an American name, but also it's also like a Muslim name as well. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's like so... literally
1: anyone could be named Sarah. Exactly. <laughs> like, any exactly Anytime. It's like Sarah and like any version of Mary. Like Maria, Mm -hmm. like all of Mm -hmm. those. Anyone at any time.
0: Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, so basically... This woman, Sarah, was interviewing me for like a Gayler segment on, I think, a serious XM radio show th- podcast thing. I, don- I really don't know. Anyway, she was interviewing me about this and she was like, yeah, I noticed that the Gayler community is like super like white, at least the people that I've interacted with, like all the people that she interviewed before me were all mm-hmm. like white. And that sort of directly relates to what Aiden is saying here in which it's like these people see Taylor Swift's queerness, because they are white and they are queer and they are like, okay, see, I get it. Like these, these white girls yeah. are like, are like, wait, no, like I resonate with her music in a way <laughs> that is different from the way that straight white girls relate to her music. And, yeah, and because sure. I am different in that way, I can see a different interpretation and like layer to her work. Whereas like for us who are as our bios say, Gayler Swifties of color—very
1: <laughs> <laughs> important. Very important.
0: We either um, get shit on for that yeah. thing in our bio, or people love that that's our. Bio. Exactly, I think it's camp. You know what I mean? So, I think, so. <laughs> but yeah, because we're that. Like, I think it's because we've like thought about these things on, on, on a level that like you have to overcome. You have to overcome the way that straight people view her as like okay she's super straight and how because we have been able to engage in white communities as well as in like heterosexual communities you yeah. can see the ways that she negates those things um or reinforces those things based off of like what you've what you've witnessed and like the worlds that you've happened to like live in you know i i very
1: much agree i think with taylor and her queerness and the way that we are able to see it is because i've grown up around a lot of straight white girlies and i know uh-huh. that she's not one <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. and in the way that she behaves and talks about things and her perspective is just very queer and there are it's kind of like even if in the world in general you might not be clockable or get clocked often but if you like go to a gsa right yeah it's not like there there are some spaces where you can only access or even hear about those spaces or those behaviors or those habits if you are already inhabiting like a queer space even Mm -hmm. if people don't see like the visual markers of it Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so with taylor and like Adam pointing out like her gay-ass friends and just like the creative choices and the way that she views things even if she's writing about heterosexuality or the way that she like builds the universes in her songs is a way that shows her queerness, like her innate Mm -hmm. queerness, that's not Mm -hmm. performative Mm -hmm. and that's why you can like see that in like mine in the -hmm. the thing that speak now and even Mm -hmm. in her songs like early before like 1989 and Mm -hmm.
0: after yeah where she starts actually like really inserting
1: yeah i know gay people
0: yeah. I... Before new romantic, <laughs> <laughs> right? Before welcome new to romantic. New York, boys yeah. and boys and girls and girls. Boys yeah, and boys, you Boys know and I mean? girls and girls
1: and boys and, right. girls and boys and girls. Yeah. And...
0: Yeah. Oh wait, but hold on. The thing I was gonna say about bringing up at silly goofy girl is that she made a take off the oh other day yeah that was like talking about how Taylor Swift performs and embodies hyper femininity and like and you know being obsessed with cats and like being being a girl's girl in a way yeah. that like. Parallel sort of the homoeroticness of like men's spaces of like gym bros you know like and women women <laughs> yeah. like gym bros don't do the gym thing because they want women to like them because women are not interested in in gym bros no you know there are I mean? only
1: so many times that girls can go online and say they don't like super mass like super muscular mm-hmm. guys
0: for and them to not get
1: the point exactly like,
0: whereas and the same thing that like men don't like taylor swift like they don't think that she's like sexy um mm-hmm. i mean especially now like they don't think of her as like I mean, of course she's been sexualized and treated in a really misogynistic, objectifying way in the media and by men throughout her life, but especially now at this point in her career, especially because she's like a 30-year-old woman, like men are not like lusting after her. It's kind of like how like MILFs. But we are. are. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You know how like like the middle-aged actresses that all the lesbians adore, it's like they don't, they're not not hot to your heterosexual male gaze because mm-hmm. they are appealing to it in a particular way it's just because like they're hot like whatever yeah. you know um and i think like that's the thing with taylor swift as well like she just we 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 see her hyper femininity we see her girly girlness and the way that she has always unapologetically been like a romantic girl that and like a woman who is very much embodies womanhood in this way that it's almost like sickening to people who like aren't women or people who don't love women right like people who don't appreciate or respect women are not going to respect or appreciate like taylor swift um when because like on the basis that she is such a woman's woman like yeah (laughs) um and i think like that's another thing about her queerness and that's another thing about the queerness of like dudes who think that they're straight or whatever it's like why are you so obsessed with the way that you look to men and appealing to male audiences and for Taylor it's like your whole career is about appealing to and relating to your audience of girls and gays like that's your whole career that's been that's been what you uh, who you like you don't have male fans you know like what so which I'm so nervous because for like the future of her
1: career especially now that she's getting older because like the Beatles had predominantly teenage girl fans. That was the uh-huh. only people who liked the Beatles. Yeah. Now, fucking weird, like, adult men. <laughs> like, like, it's like, yeah. edgy, have ownership cool. over yeah. the Beatles. Yeah. And same with, like, someone like, and I'm not saying that these artists are, like, Sled. good, but yeah. I'm just saying, like, someone like Elvis also mm-hmm. predominantly only teenage girls. Like Elvis. Mm-hmm. They were the mm-hmm. ones who were sustaining his career. Now, anyone who enjoys the history of rock and roll, anyone who enjoys 50s music, which is a lot mm-hmm. of, like, older men, mm-hmm. now are the ones that you associate with liking Elvis. And that is, mm-hmm. like, for a number of reasons. But, like, the transition of having a predominantly teenage girl fan base mm-hmm. to then it being... An indie, well,
0: like, yeah, I have good taste thing.
1: Exactly. And so, with Taylor Swift having her career for so long, be majority like teenage girls and young women and teenage girls and young women being shamed for liking Taylor Mm -hmm, Swift or being mm -hmm. seen as not having taste or thinking on their own or having Mm -hmm. any like awareness of media because they like Taylor Swift. Now that she is like kind of getting her flowers in Mm -hmm. this very real way where like everyone is kind of coming together and being like, oh no, like she is the music industry for a reason, not just Mm -hmm. because of of like 16 year old girls. Mm-hmm. stream her endlessly like <laughs> what like what is what 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 are the changes going to look like yeah, within taylor yeah. swift or or within like the taylor swift cinematic universe like mm-hmm, of her mm-hmm. fans i don't think there will be any peace in any resolution until we get her seven husbands medley like i just don't see <laughs> there there are going to be gailers, and there are going to be people who are wrong <laughs> and rather, like, depending on which side of the aisle you fall on that, I think really influences how you relate to her. And to answer Aiden's questions about, like, them believing that they can see Taylor Swift as queer because of how, of because of, like, their personal relationship to, like, navigating predominantly queer spaces. I don't think that is necessarily the answer, even though that relates to me. So that possibly could be. But, I think that Taylor Swift, to me, is really a more modern day example of like fem lesbian, and that because she's not seen as gender non conforming, her queerness is the inherent and innate aspect of her that is other queer included people included in her, yeah, that queer people can see, and that is included in her hyper femininity, like there is a mm-hmm. level of hyper femininity that becomes queer, Mm -hmm. that is beyond the gender-conforming, heterosexual, male gaze idea of femininity Mm -hmm. and that is like related to like her love of cats yes and her comparing her friend having a kid to having a tamagotchi when she was like (laughs) in middle school like it's those it's that perspective on life it's the right where you left me Mm -hmm. it's the seven the cowboy like me the
0: ivy cowboy like dress the exactly even the speak now yeah yeah
1: it's all of that is what makes her as queer as she is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so I think that just being able to see that is seeing that divergence within yourself that they that diversity of divergence within your community like as someone who's queer and interacts with other queer people and then recognizing those traits in Taylor is what makes it so clear to us and also the fact that there are many pop girlies on the scene right now And no one is writing the perspective that she is. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because, like, yes, she is incredibly talented, but because she is able to set herself apart in this innate way that is because of her queerness. She's able to access a perspective that other people are just not
0: going to be able to access. Mm -hmm. And you know how, like, there's a lot of female pop stars who are it's like inherent to queer culture, like loving like Madonna, right? Like, or, you know, Lady Gaga or whatever, right? And like those women, regardless of whether they are queer or not, and sometimes, you know, confirmed they're out, yes. But like Mm -hmm. as queer icons, like sometimes I think the way that they embody and the way that their work sort of reveals their queerness shows like which one of these hyper femme, like pop icons that are women that, gay the, the, the gays adore are are themselves gay? How you know, it's also kind of like how Well I think like
1: Whitney Houston mm, is a great yeah, example yeah, yeah. of that because Whitney Houston like was bisexual mm-hmm. and had a long term relationship with a lesbian well, even, like, in her life. During her during when she was like the pop princess, like actively. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean she still is, rest uh-huh. in peace. God bless her soul. Uh-huh. But I think like gay people love Whitney Houston, Uh Whitney Houston loved gay people, and through her blackness was her queerness also Mm -hmm. seen, like they were related Mm -hmm. in that Mm -hmm. way, and Mm -hmm. I see that like myself in Whitney Houston, but also that element that of queerness, besides race, I guess, you can't ever really take race out of the picture, but I feel like Taylor and Whitney are tied in that way, in the same way as like Madonna and Lady Gaga Mm -hmm. who are also queer but are also mostly known
0: for being loved by queer people, Mm
1: -hmm. not really their own individual queerness. Yeah,
0: same with like, even like Lindsay Lohan or fucking like Marilyn Monroe. You know, these people who like were gay and were also gay icons, but the fact that they were women meant that them being gay was less so a thing that like people cared about because the media and the patriarchal world that we live in views women fundamentally as objects for men to consume, even if they- themselves don't embody that in their work, you know, and who they are as a person. Like, I mean, you know how in The Watermelon Woman, which we have an episode on, which would be on Patreon, um, in The Watermelon mm-hmm. Woman, you know how Cheryl sees... The watermelon woman in these 1930s movies and she's like obsessed with her and really wants to know more about her she doesn't really know why but then when she learns more about her she finds out that the water- watermelon woman was a lesbian you know what i mean like yeah and and she finds out that she was a lesbian in a relationship in the lesbian scene like big big on a lesbian scene it's like that's kind of similar right like okay these like these big but niche icons who are gay because mm-hmm. they are gay icons like it's like the yeah there's a history of this and i think that people are just not literate enough media consumers and critical enough thinkers to really make, connect the dots in the way that us as smart individuals can. (laughs) Yeah, and that's the end of the hot take for this episode. So for the media portion of today's podcast we are going to be discussing the new Charlie XCX album, Crash which was released sometime this past week, or within the past couple weeks once you're hearing this. I don't think either of us are like major charlie xcx stands so like don't come for us some of my favorite songs by charlie xcx i
1: are like some of my favorite songs because she has people i've been sad which is the collab with christine mm-hmm. and the queens who i love mm-hmm. christine and the queens mm-hmm. and i love that song and gone which is also from not the album before crash but the album before that one i think it's just titled Charlie.
0: Mm, and
1: yeah. that one I really like, and obviously like "Boom Clap" was basically the yeah. anthem of my middle school. Years. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And and um, "Broom Broom," but just never yes. can't catch me. That <laughs> one iconic yeah. for gays who drive. Um, <laughs> so like, I there's I've never been like, oh, this Charlie album is like everything. But the songs of hers that I do mm-hmm. like, I really enjoy.
0: So it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of my friends are just obsessed with her on this level mm-hmm. that is like, which is like, you know, it's hag culture, and it's just gay culture. Oh, I
1: forgot 1999, which is her collab with um, Troy Sivan. Right, so I guess the Charlie album, I'm realizing that I've listened to more of it than I thought. I like her, I like her as a public figure. Like, I follow her on, like, TikTok and stuff, and I think she's funny.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, she's yeah. she's like a I funny enjoy and chill girl, from what I can tell. Like, she seems like a cool person, mm-hmm. and she's been making music since like what, like 2008 on fucking like SoundCloud or whatever, you know. So yeah. she's like been in the game for a while, and she's definitely one of like the pop girls in terms of defining what pop music sounds like. I feel she is really, I think, one of the one of the like faces of hyper pop and hyperpop has become so integral to pop culture in a way that is like undeniable and really interesting to see and i really like hyperpop as a genre honestly i'm not familiar with like hyperpop culture hyperpop culture yeah sense like i I like the music but trans women and gay men yeah
1: (laughs) or like middle schoolers who have a crippling mountain dew addiction (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah.
1: That's yeah. always what. Maybe that's just my. Ta- <laughs> yeah. You're definitely more of the hyperpop person mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. I am. Like, just like mm-hmm. straight up. Like, I have nothing against hyperpop. It's just not. It's the way that, like, I enjoy the sound of guitars more than you do. Like, you
0: do not like very guitar-forward songs, and I really like
1: guitar-forward songs.
0: Yeah. So... I don't really like things that sound acoustic, and hyper-pop is, like, Mm -hmm. the most opposite of acoustic possible. So it's, like, inherently more enjoyable for me.
1: Yeah. Which I think I probably like hyper-pop a little bit more than you like acoustic-sounding things. But... Mm. Just like in terms of our personal tastes and stress. Yes. I think this is more in your wheelhouse than mine.
0: Yeah, so we're going to be ranking the album from bottom to top as we usually do. But like before we do that, classic. what are your thoughts on the album in general? Mm.
1: I was really interested to listen to this album because as a lot of our listeners know, I love the album Mama Ru by RuPaul, which is the <laughs> latest one that came out. <laughs> where everyone was saying it was like an off-brand Charlie X album, yeah. and like everyone was saying that like derogatory and i was like no like complimentary like it does sound like a knockoff charlie X, the X album and i love that yeah and like it does like there are some songs where i'm just like wow i like it i kind of if i do listen to hyperpop i do kind of like it to be cheesy in a very rupaulian <laughs> rupauless uh-huh. way mm-hmm. so but like i would never say that like this is a stronger actual album piece yeah and- Piece of musical art. Yes. And like Rue <laughs> like, Paul's that. work, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but like Rue's like camp and it's like yeah. literally an old man. Like he's in his sixties, <laughs> and he's a man making a hyper-pop album. Like that's hilarious. So
0: I haven't heard that album and I probably will never listen to it, to be quite mm-hmm. honest. But a man who makes hyper pop music, or I think a man. So um mm-hmm. this artist I've been streaming for like a few years now. It, or like a year mm-hmm. or two now is Only Fire, and you probably know mm. the music from on TikTok. But yeah, I mean, I really like this album. I've been streaming it since it came out. um Like a couple days after it came out, I was like, I was listening to it. I remember, I think the singles got kind of bashed on by some fans, and also Charlie like responded, being like, "Guys, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember you got mad." That, oh, that was like I a, remember that. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, Which
1: and I, I think is so. I know funny. that remember fans bashing the single. Well, I remember her statement about, like, in response to her fans being uh-huh. ha- having many questions about the quality of the album before it came out. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I don't think, even the song that I like the most off this album, I don't like as much as the songs that I liked before this album. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. But
1: that's just me.
0: Yeah. Well, so. I think, like, uh hashtag music critics or whatever you know the people over at pitchfork music all the like tw- all the music heads on twitter are obsessed with pitchfork ratings and i don't really give a fuck mm-hmm. but like from <laughs> uh, from like their sort of reviewing and they were saying that this album is like her strongest since maybe one of her one of her like early earliest albums or something like that mm-hmm. and i was thinking about that and i was like for me, that makes sense, because I've tried listening to her other, like, full bodies of work, full albums, and, like, they just weren't, like, as listenable to me. I know, like, my friend Kennedy loves uh, what I've been up to, or the one album that she released during quarantine in, like, 2020. Yeah. 2021. So, and a lot of people really like that one that starts off with, I think, like, Pink Diamond, and... That the sound for that one is like less up my alley than this album because this album is more like pop and I'm just like more of a fan of it. And this is dope, this is the only album of hers that I've like fully sat down and listened through, so it's not a mm-hmm. fair comparison, but just like in terms of right off the bat interest, I think this sort of came at a time where I was in interested enough to listen to her whole album when it released because mm-hmm. there was enough like hype and controversy surrounding it <laughs> while also mm-hmm. like actually liking the sound of the music but Crash is one of those albums that none of the songs on it are lower than like a three star rating for me if I'm doing like zero to five star mm-hmm. ratings which I automatically do for everything because of letterbox and goodreads they've like sort of poisoned my mind you know so yeah. <laughs> like i can't help it, i but love a judgment. good five star rating i wish goodreads had
1: 0.5 yeah. but i make do that's the yeah, one flex same. that letterbox has well actually in terms of the interface of the app letterbox mm-hmm. has many flexes over goodreads mm-hmm. because goodreads is
0: where run by Compre-
1: geriatrics yeah <laughs> literally awful
0: well, I like – I think Goodreads interface isn't great and, like, the like the user user interaction stuff isn't great. But I think it as mm-hmm. a platform and it as in, – in sort of the ways that you can use it and the details that you get on each yeah. book and, like, lists you can make and community things, I think it's, like, really good. Like, I think it's stood the test of time for a reason. And it's better than other reading tracking apps that I've attempted and used because it's just so – It's so detailed and they're like, it's, it catalogs everything because it's been there for so fucking long. And so you'll find the 600 editions of the one classic book on there, you know, like you'll see. Mm -hmm. And plus it's the mo it's the one that like most users use. So like if you're going to be online and and read books, you're going, you're probably going to use Goodreads or at least like it's the one that you're going to get like, is going to have a hundred thousand reviews on a book that's really popular, which yeah can't, you really can't find it on any other site but anyways so what is your enough bob- about goodreads yes enough about <laughs> all my goodreads i i love goodreads anyway so mm-hmm. even though it's owned by amazon so fuck amazon but anyway everything's gonna be owned by amazon boo everything's boo. gonna be owned
1: by amazon disney
0: and like apple yeah Damn. rip anyway anyway <laughs> Charlie album. Yeah, Charlie uh, <laughs> album. So, should
1: I go first or are
0: yeah, you starting? What's your bottom tier song? <laughs> my bottom is every rule. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, my bottom is beg for you, but my <gasps> second okay. bottom is every rule. So, like my second to last oh. one is every rule. So.
1: Okay. Okay. Cool. 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 My second to bottom is twice, and my that's
0: my third to bottom twice.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, my third, okay, wow. My third to bottom is Constant Repeat. <gasps> okay, now we're
0: diverging. So, okay, here's okay. my explanation for Beg For You being the last one. It's really catchy, but to be honest, like, yeah. it's probably the most annoying song to me. I don't know, like, in terms of the chorus. It's catchy, but in a way that doesn't make me happy, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know. Mm. I think some elements of the production, mm-hmm. I'm just like, I feel like I've heard this before, and... When it came out as a single, I was like, okay, this is like, this is fine. But I wasn't like that excited about it. I I was like, this is kitschy and I like it, but whatever. But again, it's not like, it's still like a three-star song or like a two and a half three-star song in my book. Okay. So my fourth to bottom, did you say your third to bottom was Constant Repeat? Yeah. Gotcha. So my fourth to bottom is New Shapes. (laughs)
1: <laughs> for the listeners draw drop. Draw, yeah. draw drop if you're not on patreon
0: okay. and thus viewing the video zoom recording of this which you should become a patron if you want to Um, oh yeah. update on the i think yeah less last, last episode you would have heard that oh wait wait i forgot to mention this in the introduction but not i don't i feel like not many of you would really care that much because this is more on the production end of things but instead of having like 10 episode seasons which we've done for the past few we're on our third season right now and we're going to be doing 13 episode seasons instead. So Ooh. yeah, this is episode 11 of season three. So previously we've had 10 episodes, but and plus like bonuses that weren't included in those 10, but uh, now we have 11 and our bonus episodes are going to be on Patreon. So anyways, anyways, back to the, Play. back to the ranking. So yeah, you, you're shocked that I didn't like new shapes. Well, I do like it. It's yeah. just like, not one of my favorites. Like, I like all of these songs, but it's just, like, more bottom tier. Um, mostly because, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I think I, I respect all of the people who are collaborated on the song, because it's Caroline Polachek, Christina and the Queens, and then Charlie, obviously. So I like mm-hmm. all of them as artists, but, like, I just don't think this song is that strong. I can't even think of what the chorus is right now, and I think because it's not that memorable to me, it sort of even though there are moments where it'll be kept like i'll have the chorus on repeat in my mind right now i can't Mm -hmm. really conjure it despite just now having listened to the album through so i think that kind of indicates my personal like not as not as enjoyable element to it but yeah what's your fourth to the bottom
1: my fourth to the bottom is good ones and This is where I start to like the songs. I actually don't like Every Rule, Twice, and Constant Speed, Mm, mm -hmm. personally. Constant Repeat? (laughs) I mean, Constant Repeat. When Uh did I say Constant Speed, I meant Constant Repeat. Part of that is because I think that, I think for Twice and Every Rule, and honestly, Constant Repeat, the themes that are discussed in those songs are discussed in other songs that are also on this same album that I think Mm -hmm. do it better than Mm. these songs and Mm -hmm. I think the other songs that I think have a very similar plot line to those three are more listenable than these and Mm -hmm. so through the ranking they kind of yeah I'd rather listen to those good ones I actually like but Mm -hmm. I don't like it as much as all the The songs above Yeah. yeah so that's that's where we are in my list Concept.
0: i think when good ones released as a single a couple months back when i listened to it i was like wait this fucks like i love this so mm-hmm. um that's why it's on the more it's on the second half of like the bottom to top tier like ranking for me but i get it yeah. i think it's it's not it's not one of the strongest on the album i don't think
1: but um, in my first list, because, you know, I have to do my list multiple times. I had it as six because I was like, oh, this is uh-huh. like the per- like this is the middle of the album, like the song six that are from the this- bottom or. Well, there's 12 songs in the oh, album. OK, so the middle. In, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. the middle. yeah. so I was like all the songs that I like less than this will go below it. All the songs that I like mm-hmm. more than this will go above it. But mm-hmm. as I continued listening, there's more songs that I like more than it than there were songs that I like less than it. So, In uh-huh. I think it's like the perfect middle song, but just the way that this, mm-hmm.
0: it it ended up dividing. It got the ninth yeah. place. The fifth to bottom now, for mm-hmm. me, it was Crash. The <gasps> same! Song. Oh, okay, same. cool. Literally cool. same. I mean, I like it, but I don't think, it's like, eh, it's a three star for me. Mm-hmm. My seventh favorite on the album is mm-hmm used to know me which is another one of her singles
1: Mm -hmm. not the same for me but Mm -hmm. i respect it We're we're getting in a little more it's it's my top two are my top two Uh between seven and three i could see i could negotiate Mm.
0: interesting (laughs) maybe my seven is baby
1: and i really like it i really
0: like baby Baby's so catchy. Oh my gosh. It it's is. such a it's, good
1: <laughs> It's a good song. This is seven complimentary. I just All of these songs I like. Mm-hmm. It's just it just it's just more like
0: Yeah from not, me. In K- <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like yeah. my top I mean I like all the songs in the album. I think they're all like listenable. Just some of them might be skips on when I'm in a particular mood. But I think the first mm-hmm. my top like seven are probably ones that I'm like, okay, yeah, this is these these are liked on my Spotify liked songs. <laughs> for <laughs> um, sure, for sure. So what's s- your six? What's your middle? Is it's good ones, so kind of similar oh, okay. to your original ranking.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. My six is Lightning.
0: Mm, Interesting. Interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. My really my fifth is actually Baby. So. <laughs>
1: Okay, okay. We're back on it. Our lists are, like, very
0: Yeah, they're kind of similar in some ways, with some exceptions.
1: Yeah. My fifth is Big For You. Mm. I liked it. I thought it Mm -hmm. was catchy. I didn't, like, super listen to it when the single came out, so Mm -hmm. I could only see myself getting tired of it if I had already listened to it for a couple of months. Yeah, 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 yeah. But on, like, first listen in the context of the album, I really like it, and I think it's a strong collab for mm, her yeah, yeah, yeah i'm kind of surprised that this is what the collab sounds like between arlie yeah. charlie XX and um rena i yeah. think that i think that definitely a stronger song could have come out of that collab yeah yeah i agree i'm not gonna lie like in terms of yeah. expectations versus execution yes <laughs> but if i'm just looking at the song in in the album it's not that bad so it's five for me.
0: Yeah. I would be more interested to hear like a Rena song with Charlie on it. Because I love mm-hmm. Charlie features and she has like a verse. Like, oh my God, that shit is always yeah. so fun to listen to. But um, yeah, I don't, I sure. don't know whether they have one where it's Rena feet Charlie. I don't remember, but um, so. I
1: hope so. I hope she, Charlie likes to have like her collection of besties that she collabs yeah. with. And I hope yeah, that yeah, Rena yeah. gets like incorporated in. Yes. That sphere.
0: I agree. So what's your four? My four is yuck.
1: <gasps> Interesting.
0: Okay. I think from baby on was my like four and a half star rating. So yuck is like one that I'm okay. like I really like because I wrote this down. It's very like gold rush core to me. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like the same yes.
0: themes, right? Yeah. So exactly okay
1: so we clocked the same things we just (laughs) but of course yeah so my four is used to know me Mm. yeah i like it we're we're getting into a more cunty era (laughs) 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 but i really enjoy no
0: her attitude is like so very slay um my third is move me (gasps)
1: same oh my god. yeah
0: I I think that's Eliza's favorite we were literally listening to it in the car last night and she was like I think this is my favorite (laughs) I was like no it's like it's a good Mm -hmm. song so it's really good especially when like the beat drops I'm like okay wait turn this shit up like (laughs) (laughs) because towards the beginning I'm like "Eh, eh, eh," and then it gets there and I'm like oh when it hits it really hits so yeah yeah yeah. and my number two is actually constant repeat which is one of your like (gasps) like low lower tier songs but i just think it's like i don't know i i really like it i really like the um is that the one where she says you could have
1: had a bad bitch by your side
0: yeah you could have had a bad girl by your side yeah that
1: one see whenever i hear that all i think of is like truth hurts by lizzo and i'm like we've we've already heard this and we already heard (laughs) this years ago like that's I literally like, the first thing that came to my mind <laughs> was just like I don't need this song because I already have Truth Hearts by
0: Luzo. So like, I like Do I need them? So my favorite part is when she goes, I'm focused on you. That's like my I love that verse. Um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that like that's just like an earworm to me that I'm like, Oh, okay, this is this is so top tier to me. But um yeah, I get why, like thematically, nothing new, but that's just pop music mm-hmm. in general, I feel like. Uh what's your number two?
1: My number two is New Shapes.
0: Mm, yeah. See,
1: okay. But like, I'm also a stand of like, all three of the girlies that are on yeah. the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> like, for me, like, out of respect, it has to be there.
0: Those are my know? mothers, yeah. Like, no,
1: like literally, like, Christine the Queens and Caroline, like, and Charlie, all on mm-hmm. the same track, like, uh-huh. for me. Like, they're like, <laughs> a gift for Renaissance. Yeah. So, and like, I like it, I think, again, some of these because the whole album she says in like the little, because I, okay, context, I listened to the album, and then I watched the Spotify story thing that she made, and then I listened Mm. to the album again, and before I watched the Spotify story thing, after listening to the album, I was like, there's a lot about like, self-destruction, self-sabotage, like toxic relationship-ish type themes, and then like, Mm -hmm. that ended up being what the album was about. And I think that the songs make that very clear, but I feel like the perspective of the album on these topics is quite narrow, and so it ends up repeating itself a couple of times, there's only so much that you can say about it. And I think Mm -hmm. that New Shapes is one of the ones where like, before that perspective gets old throughout the album, I think it... Mm expresses yeah. itself quite right. well. because
0: it's the second one. It's, like... Yeah. But I just feel like, for me, it's... I, I don't really like, like, what you want? I ain't got it. And then, like, the lead-up from there. Mm-hmm. I'm just, like... It doesn't really get me but i think again this is one of those songs that i think if she was the feature on like a caroline polacek song i would eat that shit up you know what i mean like (laughs) i i would be like okay wait this is but i think because they're featuring on her work it's just like i don't know it's like it doesn't it doesn't scratch the itch for me but charlotte christine and the queens featured on
1: Gone, which is a Charlie song featuring Christine, mm-hmm. Christine and the Queens, but that one I think sounds more like Christine and the Queens, mm-hmm. and so like, that is a bop like, that is the stronger Christine X, Charlie X, CX song, in my mm-hmm, opinion
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, but I would like to hear Charlie collab with the other artists, like, on their yes. like you said,
0: like, a Charlie feature mm-hmm. on their work, mm-hmm. So yeah. my number one song is Lightning. <gasps> Slay, I do love yeah. Lightning. Yeah, Lightning is so fun. You strike me mm-hmm. like lightning. Oh my god! Uh the beat drop and like the I love when she uses like negative space in like in, in like mm-hmm. an auditory way. I love when artists can do that really well, and she does like just those moments of like silence and then it really hits you like it's one of those songs where I'm like this is so danceable I need this in the club like rn like immediately <laughs> but yeah what's your number Very 1 true.
1: My number 1 is yuck. yeah I Yeah yeah so but I feel like cute. this makes sense for me because it's a uh-huh. little bit gro- it's less hyper more groovy on Yeah this track. yeah yeah, yeah. And I feel like it's very Aries Venus, and (laughs) I'm an Aries Venus. I love, like, saying that you don't like positive romantic things. But like you said, Uh very Gold Rush core. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very that. And I like that kind of stubborn nature in romance songs sometimes when they can can do it in a really successful, cute way that's kind of like, it plays on it. Like, obviously, you do like these things, but you're saying that you Mm -hmm. don't like these things. Mm Mm-hmm a la gold rush like marry very that and 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 like i said like i like the groove like that's just that's generally like more of my sound anyway Mm -hmm. so it's nothing Mm -hmm. against the other songs that are more classic like hyper pop tm but
0: right 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 yeah
1: and also like towards the top like probably like six and above like these are the ones that are like most likely to be on a playlist. Like, probably from six right. and above, they're going to be on at least one playlist. But, like, yes, mm-hmm. it's, like, for sure. Like, like, <laughs> going into the monthly playlist. Like, it's the one yeah. for me. And, like, the other yeah. ones, they'll be sprinkled. Like, if someone put them on, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, love this song. And then mm. all the ones below, it kind of goes from, like, okay, listenable in the background. Like, I might not skip it, but I might not pay attention when it's on. And then, mm. like, my bottom three are, like, personally, I could do without these,
0: but... Whatever, it's lays, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So that is our um, media discussion portion of the podcast. Oh, I think maybe next episode or something like that, we need to talk about the Lord music video. Have you seen it yet? <sighs> I
1: have not seen it. i you texted me about it and I yeah. meant to watch it, but I have not. No, because I was forcing myself girl? to finish right. the
0: book. Yeah. <laughs> <So> I haven't <laughs>
1: consumed any other media yeah. until I finished that goddamn book. Which I did. Right. Yeah. So.
0: yeah. 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 The music video, I've seen it a couple times now. I don't know. It's good. And we'll talk about it next episode. But what was the other thing that I wanted to... Oh, I think someone emailed us asking whether we take, like, suggestions for, like, media to consume. And I think one of the tier levels of our Patreon is, like, if you, like, want us to listen or read or watch something, like, for sure, like, then, yeah, we will. But if you have just, like, suggestions and stuff and you're just, like, a... And you're not a patron, like, yeah, you can totally feel free to email us or message us with things that you think we would like if we haven't talked about them on the podcast before or even if we have we'll probably just like let you know that we have read slash listen to slash watch said thing but anyways do you have a media recommendation for me this week
1: i do i do
0: <laughs> is this one of those things that you're like i don't know whether i've you don't know whether i've seen it or you do like you know yeah i'm it.
1: realizing now that i thought i did but then you already watched it okay This one I don't think you've watched. Wait, what was the one you thought I already watched? It was American Psycho, but then I remembered I talked to you about the fact that you watched it because we rated it the same thing. So I'm going to recommend, it's a silent film that I had to find on like some niche website, but Mm. it's called Children of Divorce. And Mm. it's from 1927. How long is it? It's 70 minutes. Uh-huh. literally a sled like go uh-huh. back to that like why did we ever <laughs> but uh. it's like a proper silent film and i was like this kind of slays and it's from 1927 and there's like no yeah. like random racism in it like yeah they're all white, <laughs> but, and like i'm right. sure like the time was racist but like the story itself fine and i was like oh my gosh slay mm-hmm. and clara Bow, who was a very famous actress Mm -hmm. during the silent era and then i think she's one of the few actresses that was like able to successfully transfer to the talkies and she's like the it girl of the time Mm -hmm. here and she's like giving it girl but (laughs) anyway it's about these two girls who are best friends who become best friends at like this orphanage because like their parents can't take care of them after i think like there's financial troubles after basically their children divorce Mm -hmm. and this boy hops over the orphanage wall like during this like rambunctious thing and Uh you know how like children like pretend propose to each other or whatever Uh you know and like
0: fake marry, you know like when they're kids I've been in a couple of fake marriages yeah
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly and so they do that and then it cuts to like when they're adults and like they're actually married and like the complications of that and basically it's about like the rising and like the the, quote-unquote consequences of like the rising divorce rates of the time (laughs) which is like in 1927 (laughs) no exactly like it's a commentary on like Literally, children of divorce, and like the possible repercussions that it could have on like a child's future if they come from a home of divorced parents and stuff like that. Yeah, which like is like hashtag real, but also it's kind of like interesting to see from that perspective. It's kind of like. I love the song Masculine Women, Feminine Men, which is another 1920s song about Mm -hmm. how like people are becoming too androgynous and like gender lines (laughs) are being like too blurred. And it's also from the 20s. And I just think that it's like things like that are very funny. But, like, the acting is, like, really good, and Mm -hmm. so was the directing. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of, like, seven core between the two main girl characters Mm -hmm. because they're, like, very close as, like, children friends, and then, you know, we see their relationship and the complications that come from that. And I personally, I found the women and their characterization in the film, like, pretty real. You Mm -hmm. know, like, they Mm -hmm. aren't, like... Breaking boundaries, but it's not like oh crazy women hysteria, like shallow depictions of womanhood and like how they navigate marriage and things like that. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I found it oddly not like it didn't age super poorly for being a movie from 1927. You know what I mean? And like it talks about real things. So.
0: Yeah, I feel that way about some, like, 19th century novels I have to read for, like, classes or whatever, and it's, like, a man writing about an 1840s woman going about her life and, like, having romantic interests and whatever, and, like, the way that sometimes, you know, they'll write these women and they'll have characters in, they'll have male characters in the book be misogynistic overtly or in like more quiet ways but she as a character as a main character like i'm thinking about the portrait of a lady by henry james which Mm -hmm. has a main character named isabel archer which is so interesting to me because the archer by taylor swift really they kind of remind me of each other and so true it i mean i didn't finish the book because i'm you know uh come on now i i feel like a lot of dense texts. i'm just like mm-hmm. let's get this over with i feel the same way about like heavy movies sometimes i'll just, I'll just like put it on two times speed bye like <laughs> um but like or like documentaries or whatever i even watch mm-hmm. youtube videos on two times speed like girl i don't give a fuck so <laughs> like but uh, yeah I'll, I'll, we're reading sister carrie by theodore dreiser right now like seeing this like young woman in like 1890s Chicago be like an 18 year old girl and then get involved with these various men and it's like like at the time a lot of these books when they were released were seen as kind of like hmm why would you do that? Like, why would you say this? <laughs> um, and it's mostly because yeah. of the way that these women are, like, they aren't punished for their sexuality. They're not punished for being, like, morally gray. They, they just experience the reality mm-hmm. of what it's like to be, like, a woman in that society, which is interesting to think about when these, the authors of these books are men, and it's, like, they're surprisingly, they, they like, have insight on, like, on on Mm -hmm. women it seems that reflects in their writing that I think is I'm like I'm kind of shocked by which is like you know because you know you don't really expect that I feel like although I think what's interesting is that we always expect women writers I mean Sam
1: Levinson is writing
0: in (laughs) the 2020s.
1: And arguably it's not giving what some of no, these other writers no, are No, actually.
0: Giving. Yeah, some of the so, directors are are being way less misogynistic than Sam Levinson. I mean, the bar's in hell, but like...
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, no, I mean... No, for real. Anyways, the thing I'm going to recommend to you, I actually live texted the process of reading this, which was Girls Can Kiss Now by Jill Gutowitz, And I think yeah, I said yeah. all of my thoughts while I Twitter, was...
1: Twitter... Yes, she's a Twitter no, deck. Yeah, Twitter guys. I've I've been following her, but you did tell me.
0: Yes, she is like the like gay or lesbian writer in, in a like a pop culture comedy sort of way. And she's also the one that we mentioned in our last episode who got quoted in that New York Post article that was like really stupid about lesbian fashion. And I think she made a tweet a couple days ago or something that was mm-hmm. like, I keep on getting I was like being misquoted out of context in that article. And people keep on sending me, like, annoying messages, even though I wasn't the one who, like, I didn't even agree to be a part of that article. Like, they were just making, like, Mm -hmm. they were taking a lot of my words out of context when I was writing, like, a, a comedy piece for someone else for a different publication, basically. And so it's like a rip from the headlines type, like, bullshit tabloid thing, as the New York Post does. And so we discussed Some of the quotes and stuff last episode, but I think we had mentioned, like, a lot of the shit that Jill Gutowitz, the quote-unquote lesbian fashion expert, despite her being like, I'm not a lesbian fashion expert. (laughs) Um, A lot of the quotes that we pulled from there, that they pulled, that we were looking at, we were like, nothing's being said here is, like, wrong. You know, we were kind of just like, this is, nothing that she herself is saying is like, bad. It's just the way that this is being framed and, like, with the clickbait title is very bizarre. Yeah, like, the content within the quotation marks was not Mm -hmm. what was questionable.
1: It was the way that the article was trying to frame the quotes and the take and all of that.
0: Yeah, and so in this book, Girls Can Kiss Now, she kind of, it's a collection of essays, but they're all sort of connected to each other, and it's her relaying her experience growing up in like, the 2000s and, like, coming of age there. I think she grew up in, like, the suburbs of, like, Maryland or something. And so – and she didn't realize she was a lesbian until her, like, mid-20s, I believe. And I think, like, she sort of explores – she explores being really obsessed with pop culture, like, as a kid and then also as an adult and, like, the culture of lesbian obsession with pop culture (laughs) – in a way mm-hmm. that felt really relatable to the content that we make on the show and i really i feel like if you read this book we could do a, the divine's ellie eaton thing again where we could try to force jill to come on the podcast Yeah, <laughs> i think that would be interesting
1: that would be a and be like hey i followed you on my stand account for like
0: <laughs> hi hi yeah no because each of the different essays she kind of explores a different thing like some of them one of them is just like purely about sort of like going through the 2008 like economic crash and like financial crisis with her parents and sort of like the way that all of her sort of experiences growing up and also trying to work in Hollywood as a journalist like try sort of informed her understanding of her queerness she also has like an essay a couple essays about her really toxic close friendship with this girl who that like ended really badly and it was like Mm -hmm. what made her realize she was kind of she was gay and it was also like in the way that she described like the intensity of that and then she also has an article where she like ex- she has two articles where she discusses particularly like Yaler and Taylor Swift stuff although she does mention her a lot she mentions she sort of like talks about like Lindsay Lohan and you know like sometimes like Britney Spears like these other and uh Perez Hilton like these random people you know who in the 2000s and then the 2010s had a grip on media and like pop culture and the way that it was framed versus the reality of what was going on so she kind of in one of her articles she sort of talks about the like morality of speculating on celebrity sexuality which i think was really interesting to read especially f- from her who is like a gailer like and sort of comparing the experience or comparing the reality of like Perez Hilton basically like forcibly like outing celebrities on his like tabloid website mm-hmm. to what mm-hmm. how queer fans relate to people now and stuff and I thought that was really interesting her last chapter I think was about the folklore album coming out during quarantine and her talking Mm -hmm. about her like getting a girlfriend like a few months before quarantine and like her relationship is so cute I I was like stalking her Instagram being like (laughs) trying to find and also just like her trying to get involved in like the glitz and glam of like celebrity culture in Hollywood and then like trying to realize like coming to realize like what's important and what's stupid about it and like her obsession with it as a kid versus her working in it now i think a lot of the writing is sort of very like millennial humor vibes there's a lot of like (laughs) like repeated terms and stuff and some people are like oh this is so funny and for me i'm like this isn't that funny but maybe that's just because i'm i'm on twitter you know what i mean like on in like a real way um but and like because we're like gen z or whatever but like yeah she i i think that she sort of delineates lesbian culture and pop culture that in a way that is like very kind of like fresh and really contemporary because it's really looking at 2010 2000 2000s and 2020s like culture and the media landscape that we live in now because she's really comparing the reason why the the book is is called girls can kiss now is because she's sort of comparing like right now there's like she talks about how orange is a new black was like the breakout like LGBT show for like queer women and that like opened doors for a lot of people and how now there's so much like lesbian representation in media comparative to when she was growing up and like how in the 2000s it was like being a lesbian was like sort of like the punchline of of a joke whereas right now all so much like premiere and like critically acclaimed television and And film is about and features, like, lesbian storylines and sapphic storylines. And she sort of is Mm -hmm. talking about, like, that's so cool, but also, like, how did we get here and how... What, what would it be like for me who was like super repressed and like didn't know that I was gay and was dating a series of mats and brads and chads and you know like for the majority of my life not thinking like whatever versus then getting yeah. starting to be like wait this is even an option for me like i actually start dating women like I actually have feelings you know and I think like also her talking about like milf twitter and also just like lesbian <laughs> milf culture and stuff there were a lot of points that I was like Renaissance yeah. would really fuck with this so <laughs> no
1: I think I think i first found her because of like when i first entered my rachel vice era which yeah everyone knows that rachel vice is like she's one of my girls like one of my main <laughs> girls and because she is and so i think that's definitely where i first like got wind of jill and her work on twitter uh-huh. and then i definitely like as i got more into like gaylerism i remember the night that like folklore came out i think she might have like don't try and tussle with me girlies but i think she might have had a hit tweet talking about how betty is gay Uh and like the song like the night that it came out so yeah i do remember her and i just like i've Mm -hmm. always seen her tweets on the timeline yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So
0: i think she's written a couple articles i've probably done like in and out of following her but i've like yeah Always seeing her her presence. Yeah, for me, like I haven't really. Probably just because I haven't been in those same like internet spaces. But like now, when I saw, when I looked her up, and I was like, okay, yeah, like. I, I get the vibes. I understand what's really going on here. Uh, and yeah. I think she has written a couple articles for Vulture about, like, the queerness of Taylor Swift's albums. And in the mm-hmm. book itself, she sort of talks about how how gay, like... Well, not... She doesn't go in-depth about it, but she'll, she'll just, like, offhandedly remark on how gay, like, reputation and Evermore and folklore are. But I think it's really <laughs> funny and, um, like, relatable and for our audiences. It also made me cry yeah. because one of her essays is talking about sexual assault and her, like abusive relationship with this like really toxic dude whom she met like on set while working for some production company or, or whatever and how it sort of coincided with her understanding her identity and also her like previous toxic relationship like how these different toxic and abusive and manipulative and like violent but also like important relationships in her life sort of informed her identity and her experiences and thus like her queerness I thought that that essay really got to me because it was just so like emotional I think her writing it has its strengths when she's leaning more into the into like the vulnerable the vulnerability of telling a story as opposed to the humor which at times it doesn't feel forced but I just like it doesn't hit the mark for me because I'm not a 27 year old who lives in LA you know what I mean like I'm like so I think that (laughs) but it's still the type of book that I think our audience would generally enjoy and it's a book that like lesbians in general right now who like consume lesbian media and pop culture it's really going to resonate for people I think like it's really going to yeah I, it really it really touches on a lot of things that I don't think anything else I've read or anything else I've seen um outside of just the fucking twitter sphere has really gone into it's really refreshing in that way because I don't think a contemporary pop culture and humorous look on media and the social landscape of like what it means to be a lesbian has really been explored in the way that this book does, in the way that this essay collection does. And it reminds me a lot of the things that we talk about on this podcast, except age it back a couple decades because she is like a couple, like a decade or two older than us. So, mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, I would love to have her on the pod, Jill please come on the podcast if you listen if
1: you're a secret (laughs) listener please reach out i
0: I think she retweeted one of my tweets because her last essay is about her listening to folklore and then sort of like she like metaphorically morphs into a werewolf because of what folklore did and so i tweeted about that at her (laughs) and she retweeted it but i don't think i don't like i don't think i can dm her unless she unless she, she follows you back which is so annoying and I can't find, like, a way to contact her otherwise, but I think Ellie Eaton found us because she was, like, name-searching her book or her name for, like, people who, you know, Mm -hmm. for people's reviews and stuff. So, inshallah, that happens. Who knows? Um, We'll see. We'll see. But that's my recommendation, and, of course, Renaissance already knew of it because I was updating them on the process of reading it. Like, I think I was much Mm -hmm. more reluctant at first when I was reading it. I was like... Okay, girl. Okay. But then as the I was like, wait, no, this is so real and true AF. So, you know. Play. That's today's episode for everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Feel free to become a patron if you want to. And, you know, rate us on, like, Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you would like to so that we can get the haters off our backs um <laughs> and you can follow <laughs> so true. us on the lavender menace podcast everywhere and you can find me on youtube instagram twitter at a sunny book nook
1: and you can follow me on instagram at renaissance marie and you can follow me on twitter at renaissance first e an x
0: so yeah thanks so much for listening bye
1: bye, bye.